today I want to talk about how we change. And this is critical to the DNA of who we are as a community because um, I believe that the world has been saturated with a Christianity that does not produce changed lives. And I believe that uh, too often people say, well, you know, um, we're all sinners and we're all going to kind of, you know, always struggle for the rest of our lives, you know, and we just really hope that, uh, you know, God will just be merciful and we'll always kind of fumble and fumble and fumble our entire lives. And what I want to tell you is that that's not the theology of this community. The theology of this community is that we are unable to change ourselves, but that there is a grace, there is an engine of grace that enables us to become like Jesus. And that's really exciting. So let's, uh, let's read some scripture and then we're going to pray and then we're going to try to investigate this. And my prayer really today, even like we were in worship, we were, we were praying it, that God would unveil the love and the grace that he's given to us through the cross. So um, I'm going to start in John chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. I'm reading out of the Amplified Bible, so there's lots of uh, extra words in here, but it really accentuates the point. Starting in verse 16, for out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, I know that every person is at a different place in this room. And I believe that you have destined from the beginning of time, from the dawn of history, you've destined every individual to be sitting in this room this morning. My prayer is in Jesus' name that you would unveil the grace of God to us, that it would empower us to live like Jesus in this city and in this region, and that God, it would stick today, that God, there would be a sticking power to the truth of your kingdom and of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many parents do we have? Any parents? There's like three of us. Oh, no, there's a few of us. Good. I'm a parent. I have two kids, and uh, mine are four and two. And it's amazing the different stages they go through, you know, in their lives. And uh, I have a little son named Noah, who unfortunately for the rest of you parents is the cutest kid in the in the kids' uh, room. And my other kid is handsome, but you know, when they're four, they're just cute. And when they're, I mean, when they're two, they're cute. When they're four, they're kind of like, you know, they're handsome. They're, they're just like, they, now they're like a little, little man, you know? But when they're four, they still got the gut and they still got the butt that pokes out. And it's just like, he's just the cutest thing in the entire world. And uh, he's in this stage where he's trying to get dressed by himself. And I don't know why I remember this, but as a kid, I remember that stage. Like, I remember the great success it is when you actually get dressed by yourself, you know what I mean? And he's at this stage where he's like, he's got all the passion in the world, but not the motor skills yet. And so he gets his pants on fine, and, uh, and then he has to get his shirt on. And usually what ends up happening is he gets like one arm in, and like another arm is stuck, and I find him like this. Seriously, this is what he looks like. And he'll be going, Daddy! Daddy! And I come in, he looks like an octopus. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm stuck. And of course, I just unbuttoned my shirt. But he says, I'm stuck. And I, and I say, okay, I'll help you, I'll help you. And now this is what happens. This is the interesting thing that happens. Is the, uh, the second I begin to help him, I put his arm through the, uh, you know, the sleeve. And the second he feels the freedom, he goes, no, I can do it, I can do it. No, I can do it. And all of a sudden now, he wants to do it himself. And I'm like, okay, 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 you can do it, you can do it. Two seconds ago, you look like an octopus, but now, apparently, you can do it. And there's something in kids, and it translates into us as people, that we want to do it. We're aware of the fact that we have this critical need because we're ineffective in ourselves, but we're also aware of the fact 
that we want to be the ones that succeed. We want to be the ones that do it. I remember the other day I was out riding bikes with my sons on my street and our neighbor was out there and uh, I'm watching his little kid, his kid's four and he's on a bike and I'm just watching him and he's riding down the street and I'm like, boy, he's going kind of fast. And then all of a sudden, wham, just falls right on the ground. And his, his dad start, comes running over. This is such a picture of grace. He comes running over and the son picks up the bike and throws it down and just starts to barge off. And the son and the dad chases after him going, let me help you. Let me help you. And the kid goes, no, I don't want your help. I don't, you know, and he kind of barges off. And I'm just watching that. I'm thinking to myself, this is human nature. This is who we are as people, that we realize we need help, but at the same time, we're like, no, 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 I can do it. And it's pride and it's self-effort. And so here's what happens to way too many Christians. They come to Jesus by the love of God. Oh, he loves me. I'm so excited about that. And I cry and I receive Christ and I know there's a change in my heart. And then somebody sits you down and goes, okay, it's game time. No more swearing, no more lying, no more sleeping around, no more doing drugs. No more this, no more that, no more this, no more that, no more, shling, 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 cutting you all a piece, right? And you're like, okay, all right, cool. And then by week one, you feel like a complete failure. By week two, you feel like this is impossible. And by week three, maybe you're checking out other things. Like maybe there's another religion that's a little nicer. And have you ever felt that pressure before? Have you ever felt the pressure of the, of the word of God? All you gotta do is read this book and you're like, crud, I don't line up. Like, I've got a problem here. Well, here's the good news, that your self-effort is not God's strategy to make you like Jesus. Somebody say amen. Your self-effort is not God's strategy to make you like Jesus. If your self-effort is your strategy, then you are going to leave frustrated and failing. And if that's the type of life that you want to follow in Christ, you will live frustrated, you will die bound, and you will not know why. And there's just one simple word. Pride. Because you thought you could do it. So let's investigate through the scripture. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. If you like to take notes, you get to write a lot of verses down. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, and I want to investigate what is God's strategy. Okay? Sound fun? Because every one of us has issues. Raise your hand if you have issues. And every one of us wants to change in those areas where we have issues, don't we? I mean, I want to, right? And uh, my wife doesn't have any issues, so that's awesome. But the rest of us, we have these issues, and so, you know, we have to change. So Here's God's strategy, and we see it from the dawn of time, and I could walk you through literally every book in the, in the Bible and show you this, but I'm not going to do that today because we'd get out at four in the morning. But what I am going to do is I'm going to show you a couple specific prophecies that God uh, brought through his prophets to show us the dynamic change that was happening through the cross. So I'm going to start in Jer- uh, Jeremiah 31. These may be familiar verses to you. If they are, that's wonderful. Um, Jeremiah 31, I'm going to read from verse 31 to verse 34. It'll be up on the screen. I'm reading the English Standard Version. You can read uh, whatever version you have or just follow along on the screen. But listen, this is a prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah before Jesus ever walked the earth. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say that with me. New covenant. That was terrible. New covenant covenant. Now, covenant is huge. We could talk all day about covenant, not a new contract, not a new contract where two people sign and when things don't go well, they bail. A new covenant. A covenant is forever. That's how covenant works, but that's a whole nother topic. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they, that they broke, I was, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Scripture shows us in numerous other places that this began with Israel and then opened up to all the Gentiles and all the world, which includes you and I. So it says, uh, 
here we go. Here's the covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, if you're a note taker, you want to jot these things down. Here's the introduction to the new covenant. Here's a few specific things that God mentions about it, right? First, he says he's going to remove their sin. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus, that I'm going to remove, you know, that he's going to remove my sin. It's the barrier that separates me from him. Then he says he's going to write the law on your heart, okay? He's going to write it on your heart. And then he's going to, he says that everybody is going to have a chance to know God. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks when we talk about community and when we talk about cities and nations. We're going to break down this idea that only the priests or the holy get to know God, but only, you know, but every single person gets to know God. Go to uh, Ezekiel 36. I want to see the other part of this prophecy, very similar, uh, but he adds a couple of very specific things that I want to hit today. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I'm going to read 26 and 27. And he says this, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is once again speaking of a new covenant that God would begin through Jesus. And I will put my spirit within you, and what's that next word? Cause, huge word. You can write that one on your forehead. And cause you to walk, you can do it backwards so that you can see it when you look in the mirror. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, so a few things that God says he's gonna do in this new covenant. First, he's gonna give us a new heart, right? And then he's gonna put his spirit on the inside of us, right? And this is what the scripture teaches is the new covenant. He gives us a new heart and then he puts his spirit inside of us and then he does something supernatural. He causes us. Now, I did a little studying on that word, cause you, right? I will cause you. It's actually two words, but cause you. This word cause in the Hebrew literally means to produce by labor. Now check this out. He's not saying, hey, now that you're a Christian, you better produce by labor the type of character that, uh, you know, Jesus requires. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, I will produce by labor within you the type of character that Jesus requires. God is saying, I will labor in you so you can walk in my statutes. Are you catching this today? God is saying that he's gonna plant his spirit in you. He's gonna put something in you, a cause you. He's gonna put a cause you on the inside of you that you can tap into. We're gonna learn how to tap into it this morning. You can tap into that will enable you and empower you to do the things you know you're supposed to do, but you're not able to do. Does anybody have anything in their life that they know they're supposed to do, but they're not able to do? Okay, three of us. The rest are liars. So yes, we have that, right? We have those things inside of us. Now, this goes even deeper, and I got all crazy studying the Hebrew, but I'll give you just a little piece of it. This word cause you can also be used to speak of something's nature. Just like a, just like a, uh, a cow produces milk, that word produce is the same word cause. It produces, it causes milk. It's kind of strange to say it that way, but in the Hebrew, it's the same word. Just like a tree produces fruit, in the same way the tree is causes the fruit. That's the same word. So when God says, I will cause you, check this out. He's saying, I will put in your nature the ability to take the fruit that I'm asking for you to have and allow it to come out of your nature. You tracking with this? You can clap. That was a good time to clap. Now, what is, 
what is the cause you? What is the cause? Well, we just read it in John. I'm going to mess you up, Emily. Go back to the first slide. For out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, right? And all share and are all supplied with one grace after another, with spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift, right? So the law came through Moses, but grace Grace, undeserved, unmerited favor and power came through Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me so far? I want to try to clarify some of the mistakes that we make in our thinking when it comes to grace, okay? So what is this grace? We learn that Jesus dies for our sins, that he washes and removes the barrier of sin from us, right? And then he sends forth his spirit to be able to live inside of us so that we can then begin to act like Christians. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people think that God sent forth his spirit and he's just gonna be like our buddy. And there's no expectation that we actually live differently. What I want to tell you, that's not the culture of this community. We're not a people that just say, oh man, you know, the only difference between a saint and a sinner is the saint got up. No. The only difference between a saint and a sinner is that a saint's been transformed and been given power beyond his own ability to begin to act like Jesus. And now the saints of God, I believe in this time, are learning how to activate that grace. So check this out. I want to talk about the gospel Gospel. I have awesome handwriting, by the way. Um, compared to my four-year-old son, it's awesome. Compared to anyone else, it looks like I'm the four-year-old son. But, uh, okay, so the gospel as self-help. Oh, this one's much better. And then we'll look at the gospel as news, okay? And this is a critical distinction, and I believe that most of Christianity, unfortunately, has swallowed up in this category, all right? Now, what this means is it means that people think of Christianity as a nice way to help themselves. So in other words, like, yeah, man, I need a balanced diet. We talked about this with the kingdom, right? I need a balanced diet. I need some friends in my life. I need, oh, yeah, religion would be good too. Let's throw some religion in the pot. Let's mix it up, and maybe it'll help me be a better person. Maybe I'll, you know, think of others. It'll be a self-help thing. Or we come to Christ, and we say, okay, now you got to be a good person, Okay, now I'm a Christian, I gotta be a good person. All right, great. So I'm gonna start doing this, I'm gonna start doing that, I'm gonna start doing this. And this is how the gospel of self-help works. Hey, you're a Christian, now you've got to do the things that the Bible says. So stop sleeping with your girlfriend, stop lying, stop blabbering with your mouth and gossiping, stop being selfish, stop lying at work, stop cheating on your taxes, right? All these different things that you're supposed to do, right? And then once you've done them, you can now believe E-I, did I mess that up? Everybody knows that. You can now believe that he loves you, right? You could say, okay, now I believe that God loves me because I've done enough good things. Let me ask you, the last time you felt condemned before God, why was it? Probably because you did something stupid, right? And you felt terrible before God, and so you stopped thinking that he loved you. You thought you had to punch in enough times, go to church enough times, give enough money before now God would really like you. So you do, and then you believe, and then if you've done well, why are these E's and I's? I before E, that's right, right? Okay, so then you receive, right? Then you, we skipped that grammar class in, in elementary school. Then you receive what's good, right? So if I do enough, then I can believe that he loves me. Then I'll receive. So you always hear this with new Christians. Man, I'm going to try to stop this. Man, I'm just going to try to stop lying, man. Man, I'm just going to try to stop looking at pornography. Man, I'm just going to try to stop, 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 whatever it is, right? Right? And all of us have probably been there. Well, now I'm a Christian. I feel convicted. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. So now I'm going to try to stop. Well, here's my answer. Good luck. 
because you're gonna hate Jesus in about a month if you make it that long because you're gonna realize that you're not very good at stopping. Has anybody ever realized that they're not very good at stopping? I'm not very good at stopping, okay? And I'm gonna share in a few minutes that my reality, my experience was that I was bound and a slave until I began to uncover this truth that I'm sharing with you this morning. So this is not theory in the life of Justin. This is practical application. But you know what's on the other side of this truth? Freedom. You can study it yourself. In 1 Peter, he says that he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. In other words, if you don't know the truth, then it can't set you free, right? You, nobody said right, but you'll be, you're cool. Okay, so I wanna now show you, so this is the gospel of self-help. It's not even really a gospel. It's not good news, that's for sure, right? It's definitely not good news because it's like, wait, this is kind of cruddy news, right? Because like, I stink at this. This whole thing is terrible. So now I want to look at the gospel as news, not as self-help. And I want to read a passage in Romans. You can write this one down. Romans chapter five, verse 17. You can read the whole chapter on your own. It's really, really good. But I want to just focus in on this specific verse right now. Romans chapter five, verse 17. Everybody got it? Here we go. Throw it up on the uh, old screen there. For if... Because of one man's trespass. Anybody know who that was? Adam. Just answered for you, right? Adam, the first man. So because of one man's trespass or sin, death reigned through that one man. This is what scripture is describing. It's saying that because of our forefather's sin, we now inherited the reign of sin in our lives. You are born with a tendency to do wicked. And because of that, you're separated from God, right? And so we have this reality that because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, will those who receive the abundance of, will those who receive the abundance of, there's an abundance. Remember the Bible says in John chapter one, he dumped it on you. He gave you more than enough. He heaped it upon you, heaped it and heaped it and heaped it upon you. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, what? The free gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing with God. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness do what? Reign in this life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So here's the reality of the news. You have to first hear the news that Christ has done this for you. And you don't treat it like a self-help program, the five steps to being holy, the seven steps to being pure. You treat it as news, just like you read it and you said, oh, dang. Like imagine living in, you know, um, Budapest, Hungary, right? I don't know what it was like to, I've only been there, I've been there once, so I have very limited. So if anybody's from Budapest, I'm not trying to offend you in any way, Okay. Let me just qualify. Because we have a lot of international people. How many people, is there anybody here that's not originally from America? Raise your hand. How awesome is that? Look around. Tell you what, the nations in Jesus' name. Anyways, so um, imagine you were in Budapest, Hungary, right? And you got the news one day that it was no longer dominated by communist rule. Imagine what, imagine what that news would do for you. It's like, wait a minute. So now my property is, who's that owned by? And wait, now my job, who controls? And wait a minute, my family, who decides where my kids everything just changed with one little piece of news, right? One little piece of news just changed everything. And it may take a lifetime to work that news out in your actions, but it changed the rules the minute that that news came to your ears. Doesn't that make sense? In the same, in the same way, the gospel is news. It's news that first you have got to believe because news doesn't do you any good unless you believe the news is true. So you first have to believe. So the beginning of the gospel is that you must believe it. You must believe the news. And some of us, 
fumble right there. Why? Because you don't believe God loves you. You think, yeah, man, I think maybe he loves me kind of. No, no, he doesn't love you kind of. He loves you so deeply and desperately that the great one who made the earth actually came and was born in a funky barn. That's the level of love. And then he goes and takes a criminal's death. He loves you in the most radical way, in a way that doesn't you know, compute with your psyche. So after you believe the news, then you've got to receive, and I'm not going to mess it up again, receive the news. You've got to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And then after you've received the abundance of grace, then guess what do you do? You do. Yeah, so here's the thing. Some people think, oh man, it's just squishy, cushy. We don't do anything. No, listen, the scripture actually teaches that if you don't do anything, it's proof that you never believed. Because fruit always comes to a fruit tree, right? Apples always come on an apple tree. And the reason they come on an apple tree is because it's who they are. And when you believe the news, the Bible says there's regeneration. You receive the spirit of Christ and then you begin to do. Somebody say amen. Amen. Here's the big idea for today. Write this down and I'm going to give you some real practicals in a minute. Grace is the engine of the Christian life. Grace is the engine of the Christian life. Okay, so let me try to explain this as best as I can or illustrate it for you as best I can. I grabbed my lawnmower this morning. It's a good looking lawnmower. Everybody give a little clap for the lawnmower. Hello, lawnmower. All right, so this is my beloved lawnmower, right, that I actually received as a free gift by stealing it from my brother when he moved to Florida, my brother-in-law. So um, I received it as an abundance of grace and the gift of the lawnmower, right? And so I received the free gift. So there's three things that the scripture says you've got to do, right? You've got to receive the free gift of righteousness. You've got to have the abundance of grace. And then when you have the abundance of grace, you reign in this life, right? That's what Romans 5, 17, we just read that, right? Those who have their abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Stay with me. So here we go. The free gift of righteousness, what is that? It's right standing. See, the lawnmower doesn't work if I climb underneath it. The lawnmower is not as cool if I push it from here. The lawnmower is not good if I stick my fingers in it and try to spin the blade. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because that's what a lot of you are doing in your Christian life right now. All right, blade, let's go. Holy, 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 holy. This is not working. Why am I failing? And that's exactly what we do, right? The, The lawnmower only works when you have right standing, when you have your position right. So the first thing that you've got to begin to meditate on or focus on if you want to be free from the garbage in your life is who you are. Your position with God, you've got to become convinced of that. I'm telling you this out of experience and out of the truth of the scripture, not out of some theory, all right? So what you've got to do is first become right standing. And then you've got to receive the abundance of grace. Now, what is, what is this thing? How does this work? Do I actually get down there and turn that lawnmower with my own strength? No, all I've got to do is hold that and pull it. All I've got to do is hold on. And when I'm holding on... It works. And when I let go, it stops working. You tracking with me this morning? What I'm telling you is that the abundance of grace must be believed and received. And grace is accessed simply by holding on to Christ. Simply by holding on and being in the right position, what can you now do? Rain over the grass. You can reign and dominate the grass, right? In its fullness, I dominate the grass because I'm reigning in this life. Somebody can clap right there. You missed a really good chance. That's awesome. What I'm telling you is that you reign in this life. You walk, which is your action. So it's position and then it's ability that comes through grace. See, when I squeeze this thing, now this thing has the ability to turn that motor, right? And so the ability comes not by my strength, simply by me holding on. 
And some of us are passive and we're like, well, why isn't the grace working in my life, man? Because you never grabbed a hold of it, bro. That's why. Not because it's not available. Not because only super Christians can get it. Not because you haven't prayed enough. Because you didn't take hold of it. And you didn't get in right standing. And you didn't start to walk then. And it's not enough. You can't cut the grass by doing this. Get out, put it in the middle of your yard. Fire it up. All right. Come on, grass. What do you have to do? You got to walk. You've got to begin to act, right? And so this whole grace process is this combination of believing, receiving, and then doing. Are you tracking with me this morning? Three of us are, that's awesome. So the three of you will be totally free. Are you tracking with me this morning? Okay, I want to look at another passage in the Bible to try to give you this. In, uh, I, could, I could use 25 scriptures to, to show this to you, but I want to show you in one more, and then we'll try to get to real practical, how we activate the grace, okay? And I'm going to give you a bunch of things that are super practical this morning so that you can walk out of here and actually live this, all right? So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I want to drive this home just with this one more, one more verse. I'm going to read in verse 10. It says this, but, this is Paul speaking, by the, there you go, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So it's not by the Justin, it's not by the power of Justin, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, by his power in me, I am what I am. And look at the dynamic of this verse. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Why would grace be in vain if you never did anything with it? If you never started to walk and the lawnmower just it would be totally in vain. You didn't actually do anything with the grace that God gave you. And because of that, you never saw anything accomplished. You didn't live the life. But his grace towards Paul was not in vain, right? And he says, on the contrary, check this out. I worked harder than any of them. And they're like, oh, dang, see, there you go. I told you it was about works. It's about deeds. I worked harder by any of them, though not, it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me. See how this works? In other words, what he's saying is, on the contrary, I was mowing lawns like crazy, but it wasn't me that was doing it. It wasn't me that was cutting. It was the grace of God the entire time doing the work. All I was doing was just holding on. All I was doing was acting in faith of his grace. So understand all this? So how do we activate the grace? Okay, I committed the unpardonable sin of cool preaching. I'm gonna give you an acronym. I have never, I've been preaching since I was 17 years old, 29. I've never given anyone an acronym. Acronyms, I guess they're cool today. So you're going to get an acronym, okay? Um, you're going to get grace spelled out with the five things, one, two, three, four, five things that enable you or empower you. I'm getting this, I'm praying through this, and I'm like, Lord, don't give me an acronym. And all of a sudden it just starts fitting, and I'm like, God, i got to stand up there on the third Sunday and give them an acronym? Like... This is so not cool. But anyways, here we go. It's going to help you today. And how do we activate the grace of God? We activate the grace of God by grace-driven effort. Okay, so it's this beautiful dance, not of works and grace. That's not how it works. It's works in grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you act in grace. So if you want to act in self, I guarantee you, you will be frustrated and think that Christianity is impossible. But the more dead you become and the more alive he becomes in you and the more you trust his grace and not in self, I am telling you, in this community, there will be an explosion of holiness, righteousness, purity, self-control, discipline, love, joy, all the things of the spirit because we are activating the grace of God. That's exactly what I want to be a part of. So here we go. Here's your grace-driven effort. Write this one down if you're writing anything down today. Here's your activation plan in an acronym by the mercy of God. Number one, give up on self-effort, right? So this is the beginning. So if you're still kind of like, God, I'll do better next time. 
dude, no, you won't. You're a stinking wicked sinner. Be done with the fact that you're going to do, you will not. You have to die. You have to be like this. God, I am totally lame. I am completely, completely lame. If there's anything left in you that's kind of like, all right, God, all right, we made a deal. You'd get me a good looking wife and a big house and I'll get you some holiness. And it hasn't worked out. Didn't hold up my end of the bargain. Let's talk about it again. No, that's not how it works. He's God. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. You get down and you say, I can't do this. Give up on self-effort. Completely, wholeheartedly, 100%. Give up on self-effort. Now listen, you can apply this to any area of your life. Fear, anxiety, unbelief, worry, lust, pride, whatever it is. Any area where you're wrestling or struggling, I'm giving you the keys right now. Give up on self-effort. Number two, receive the love of God. You've got to receive the love of God. You've got to receive it at the core of your soul. You've got to receive it at the depths of who you are. The love of God has got to get in there so deep that you actually believe that he loves you. See, everything changes when he loves you. I'm anxious, I'm worried. Really? The God who like is like, hey, that mountain goat up in the Netherlands just gave birth seven seconds ago. Like he knows everything. That God is the one that's taking care of you and you're stressing about your paper? Like, really? Really? See, when you receive the love of God, everything starts to change in the way you think. So you've got to receive. So what does this mean? You've got to wash your brain in the word about how much he loves you because your heart will lie to you and tell you that he doesn't. Give up on self-effort. Receive the love of God. Receive the love of God. Next one starts with an A, strangely enough. Accept his promise as truth. Listen, if you're going to have debates about whether or not this is true, you'll never activate the power of grace. If you're like, well, I like this section, but I don't like this section. I like this part, but I don't like this part. Well, then you can't accept his promise as truth. You've got to come to a place where first you find the promise, and then you say, that promise is more real than I am. That promise is more eternal than I'll ever be. That promise, the Bible says that everything will pass away, but his word will not. And when God speaks something, you can bet your life on it. And if you want to know real power and freedom, because listen, I'll tell you where this is going. This doesn't just end with, I'm, li- I'm living holy. This ends with, I look like Jesus on the earth. This ends with the blind see, the lame walk, the cripple run. That's how this ends. Because listen, I'll just give you a preview to the end of the sermon. In in, uh, John 14, he says, greater works will you do than I did because I go to the Father. And my position, Jesus says, before the Father, thou gives you access to the fullness of who I am. And so this ends, nobody's done here. Unless your life looks exactly like Jesus that you haven't arrived yet. Because everything that Jesus has, you can have in him. Through grace. Accept his promise as truth, as absolute. Hold on to it. So if the word says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3 that the Lord is faithful and that he'll strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, guess what? He'll strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. How many times? Three out of four? No, five out of five. He will always strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. But the reason that you've got to now access that promise is you've got to take hold of his grace and push it by the faith in your heart into this world. That's why Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So accept his promises, truth number three, combine prayer and hope. What? Combine prayer and hope. How does this work? Well, you know, the Bible says that we can actually grow our faith, that faith can be grown. And here's one of the most effective ways to grow your faith. Take your hope. Boy, I really hope that, uh, you know, I'm free from this sin. I really wish I was. I have a hope, but I don't have confidence and certainty. Begin to pray. Take your prayer and mix it with hope. And guess what starts to happen on the inside of you? Faith. 
See, faith, the scripture says, is the substance, the substance of things hoped for. Do you follow what I'm saying? In other words, if you're at a place where you don't know and you're like, man, Jesus, I really want to be free. I really want to be right. I really want to be free. What you've got to do is you've got to crockpot that hope inside your soul until it becomes faith. You've got to begin to pray, Jesus, I believe your freedom. Jesus, I receive your grace. Jesus, and, you, and until you walk out of that prayer time alone with the Lord, sure that he set you free, then you need to continue to pray. And when you get to that place of confidence, I know, I know, God, I know that you've given me victory. I know it because I've asked for it and you said you would. And I believe and I believe and I believe now what you've got inside of you is faith that the devil cannot destroy. You following me today? Combine prayer and hope. And then the last thing ironically starts with an E. It's just amazing how that happened. Express your faith in action. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to think these things. You've got to then begin to act out in grace-driven effort the faith that you just developed through prayer and hope. Are you tracking with me today? So what I'm saying is there's this process of giving up on yourself, receiving the love of God. Listen, if you skip those first two and you just say, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, no, you're not going to do it. You've got to do the whole thing. You've got to give up on self-effort, receive the love of God, accept his promise as absolute and certain, allow prayer and hope to become faith inside of you, and then express your faith in action. For a long time, personally, I wrestled and battled with uh, condemnation. It's the first thing I ever really had to fight with. I remember, I believe that I only led a few people to Jesus in my high school because I always felt condemned, always. And then that condemnation uh, developed into sexual addiction. So as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, I was condemned and addicted. And those two things do not go well together. And I remember feeling like, God, I'm gonna be this way forever. I'm gonna always fail, God. God, why am I, is it even possible for a man to walk down the street and not check out some girl? And if the girls, if this is disconnecting with you, men, it's probably connecting with you. But I know every person has different struggles and everybody's wired differently. But for me, this was a big struggle. And so I was like, is it possible for me to keep my thoughts holy all the time? Is, it, is that even possible? Is that even a reality? I don't even know if that's real. And then I got to this place where I said this, God, if you are not a God who can actually set me free, but who will always just leave me tied up and bound, then I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this thing. If this is about feeling bad my whole life for the failures, then I am not doing this. And God began in that moment to whisper to me grace. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in this life through the one, Christ Jesus. And I began to uncover the simple knowledge of him. And what I found out is it doesn't just work with condemnation. It doesn't just work with sexual purity. It works with money. It works with money. Some of you are stressing because you can't pay this, you can't pay that, you can't figure this out. And what you've got to do is give up on self-effort. Then you've got to receive the love of God. Then you've got to accept his promise as truth. Then you've got to combine prayer and hope. And then you've got to get out there and do something. And you do it out of faith, not out of anxiety and worry. And when you begin to do it out of faith, you watch things just begin to grow. And you think, my goodness, how is this all growing? I must be awesome. Wrong. If you start thinking you must be awesome, you're going to go right back down. You, are, you just tapped into number one again. I'm, got, I'm back on self-effort, and he's going to humble you until you realize that, you know what, I'm actually not that awesome. It's pretty much mostly, completely, absolutely you, God. Amen? One more story, and then we're going to uh, take a time to really drive this home through worship. Uh, just over a year ago, I was in uh, the mountains of North Carolina. And I was in North Carolina... And I was with my family. We were taking a little vacation, but it was a time where we were really wrestling with whether or not we were supposed to start this church plant. And you know, I'm going back and forth. 
And through this whole process, God is trying to teach me grace. He's trying to teach me, Justin, this isn't about your self-effort. I will enable you to do more than you could ever accomplish if you just learn to access grace. I will enable you to be like Jesus on this earth and see the sick healed and see people that have scoliosis set free and see all types of miraculous supernatural signs if you just begin to access the grace that I've made available to you. And so I began to just try to meditate on this. And I was going through a Bible study plan. You know, anybody ever like read the Bible in a year or anything like that? Mine was like read the Bible in 12 years, but it was, you know, it was slow. But I was reading and I was in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy can kind of be like a bummer. You know what I mean? It's not like it's the Gospel of John or anything. It's like, wait a minute, how many heifers? You know, it's like, it's just not as vibrant as some other passages in the Bible, at least not to the immature where I was at. And so anyways, I'm reading Deuteronomy and God's trying to speak to me through Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm also on vacation with my family at the same time. And I'm also trying to get to a place where I'm accessing his grace and believe him. And I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. We had a lot going on in ministry. We were traveling a lot. We were all over the country. And then we were also thinking about planning this church and the pressures of that. And how do we do this? And how's it all going to work? And da 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 And my uh, family, actually my wife's family, which is also my family, um, decides to take a day trip to the place called Grandfather Mountain. Have you ever been there? No. Okay, so I can lie about it. None of you will know. So Grandfather Mountain is this incredible, I'm not going to lie about it, just kidding. It's this really cool, beautiful mountain scape that's up above all of North Carolina. Um, you can kind of just see for, for like forever. And uh, you can just see mountain ranges and mountain ranges for as far as you can, you know, as far as you can get your eyes to see. And there's a nice clear day. And we, we actually drove up because we're, you know, didn't want to walk the whole way, but we drove up to like the, the precipice, the very top of this grandfather mountain. And then you get out of your car and it's like you just stepped into a hurricane. I mean, it's like <laughs> wicked windy, right? And so my three-year-old at the time, he was three, he comes to me and he says, dad, I want to go over the bridge. And so I'm like, oh, cool. There's a bridge. What's the bridge called? Oh, it's called the mile high swinging bridge. Oh, not as cool. I'm not super thrilled about going over the mile high swinging bridge. I mean, I'm not like a, I don't mind heights, but I don't really prefer to go over the mile high swinging bridge. And so my son is like, dad, can we go over the mile high swinging bridge? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Sure. We can go over that. And so we start, you know, a bunch of us start up the hill, up the mountain through this little, you know, thing where they try to sell you stuff and, uh, out the other side and you have to walk over these rocks and then there's this bridge and it's a mile high. In fact, right in the middle of the bridge, they put this little marker that says one mile. It's like, thanks a lot. Now I know that I'm one mile from the bottom of this gorge that I'm looking down on. And it's got all these little ropes and it's like, you know, it's called the mile high swinging bridge because, you know, it's windy out there, like terribly hurricane-like windy. And you have to walk across this bridge. And so I'm thinking, and there's a certain amount of people that can walk across at the same time and whatever. And I'm thinking like, okay, I don't know if I really want to do this. And then I look at my son and he's like, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, all right, let's go. So I take his hand and I start walking and we get to the beginning of the bridge. And all of a sudden, I'm like, son. He's like, dad, I am walking across this bridge. So I'm like, all right, buddy, come on. I pick him up and I'm walking across the bridge and the wind is just howling, howling. And I'm walking across Grandfather Mountain's mile high bridge and I get to the very middle And I look down at that little sign that says one mile. And as I'm looking down at that sign, I hear the Holy Spirit in my heart. And he says, this is grace. This is grace. And he brought me back to Deuteronomy in my mind. He brought me back to Deuteronomy. And I read the passage. I had read it a couple days earlier and I hadn't really thought much about it. And now the Lord brings me back to it as I'm standing on this bridge. And I want to read it to you this morning. Deuteronomy chapter one as a picture for your mind of the grace of God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, and the band can come up if you guys want. Actually, come up even if you don't want. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, says this, The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. How the Lord your God carries you all the way that you went until you came to this place. You know, our blueprint as a community, it's week three of our weekly services. Our blueprint as a community is that we are going to be a people that change by grace. We are driven by grace. We are transformed and saved by grace. And we change into the image of Jesus by grace. This means that we're patient with one another. This means that we don't condemn each other when they're wrestling, when they're struggling, when they're falling. This means that as long as a person wants to follow the Lord, there is no condemnation. But we get up and you say, listen, follow. Man, I failed. Get up and follow. Man, I failed. Get up and follow. And as we get up and follow, it's not, God, I'll try harder this time. It's not, God, I'll do more this time. Or, God, I'll, you know, do a better job this time. It is, God, I am activating your grace. As I carried my son, so the Lord carries us. My son had to choose to go. My son had to choose to get up and to walk. My son had to decide to come to the edge of that bridge. But when it came time to actually meet the rubber meet the road, to see actual movement and action, he held on to me and I did the walking. And believe me, he was holding on tightly. He held on to me. If you guys want to bring the house lights down a little bit, I want to have a moment right now in the spirit. I believe the spirit of the Lord is here with power. You can leave them at half. I don't want to black everybody out completely. I believe the spirit of the Lord is here in power. And I believe that the Lord wants to right now begin to unveil to you if there's any self-effort in your heart. Man, I've been trying. Man, I've been trying. Man, stop trying. Stop trying. Receive the love of God. And then once you've received the love of God, begin to activate his grace. And as you begin to activate his grace, that now begin to do. And your doing will not be done in your own strength. It will be done in the spirit of Christ.